1: visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
2: Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon Jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98
3: a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done.
2: Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango?
3: So it's just about Christmas time, and you know I have to repeat my favorite Louis Armstrong fact of all time. I know which one's coming. This one's uh, about the tree, right? <laughs> of course, it's about the tree. So, you know, I heard this fact forever ago about Satchmo and how he got his first Christmas tree at age 40, but I love the way his wife tells it, so I'm actually just going to quote her. We finally went to bed, and Lewis was still laying up in the bed watching the tree. His eyes, just like a baby's eyes, would watch something. So finally I said, well, I'll turn the lights out now on the tree. He said, no, don't turn them out. I just have to keep looking at it. You know, that's the first tree I ever had. Well, I hadn't realized that, you know. Lewis was 40 years old, and it seemed to me that in 40 years, a person would have at least one tree. I was all swollen up inside when he told me that. We were to leave the next day for Kansas City. I figured Christmas is over. Today's the 26th now. I'll leave the tree. Lewis said, No, don't leave the tree. Take the tree with you. And he had me take the tree on those one-nighters. Before I even unpacked a bag, I had to set that tree up, his Christmas tree. So it's just this wonderful story and she keeps the tree going for like a month just putting it up night after night and taking it down the next morning in all these hotels and When the tour's over, I guess Lewis actually wanted her to mail the tree home. Mm. And she finally had to convince him that the tree was going to dry up if she did that.
2: I mean, I know I've heard that before, but it really is such a wonderful story.
3: Yeah, it comes from James Lincoln Collier's bio of Lewis Armstrong. And I just love that story so much and, and that this tree gave him so much joy. And it made me think maybe this week we should do a Nine Things all about Christmas trees. So that's what we're doing. Let's dig in.
2: Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangash Hot And sitting behind the soundproof booth, dressed like an elf on a shelf, and he's got this thing <laughs> nailed, Mango. He really does. That's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. All right, Mango. So I know your family isn't Christian, but you grew up with Christmas trees, though, right?
3: Yeah, so we always had trees and presents and sang carols around the piano. Like, it was just tradition for us. And, uh, you know, this year I went to my parents' place and they'd picked out what has to be the fattest, most misshapen tree I've ever seen. I, actually, I'm going to pull up this picture for you. I'm not 100% sure that that's actually a tree. It looks like that tree <laughs> ate another tree. I know, it's almost like a like when a python eats a goat or something. <laughs> it's so misshapen. But, uh, you know, I my parents love the holidays. I, I think they got a discount on that tree. Lizzie, on the other hand, will spend hours just going store to store, just inspecting every single tree and trying to get the perfect shaped tree. And every year it's just the one fight we have. It is miserable.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lizzie isn't the only person out there looking for the perfect tree. Have you actually ever heard of Mr. Christmas Tree?
3: I haven't. Is he a a tree salesman?
2: He's actually a tree scientist. So his name is Gary Chastagner. and. The thing that he's specializing in is trying to get Christmas trees that shed less.
3: So he's kind of making the cockapoo of Christmas trees. That's exactly
2: <laughs> what he does. I think it says that on his business card. Well, this, this actually comes from Mental Floss, and it says, Mr. Christmas Tree is currently leading a five-year, $1.3 million research project, and it's aimed at helping Christmas trees retain their needles longer. And it's about selective breeding. So he and his researchers collect these tree samples from farms across the country, and try to figure out which ones are the hardiest and keep their needles the longest. And then they'll crossbreed those, of course, and they keep doing this until they have the tree that will last until spring.
3: So it's basically a tree made for Louis Armstrong. It would have been
2: perfect him, <laughs> but. All right, well, here's actually another fact for you. And his research isn't just about finding a perfect tree. It also includes how to water them. So according to his research, you need about a quart of water for every inch of your tree's diameter. And you're supposed to water it with that every single day. But here's the catch. Most Christmas tree stands can't actually hold that much water. And there aren't many great solutions other than just watering your tree a lot. In fact, in 2007, he even tried hooking up Christmas trees to IV trips. But (laughs) even that wasn't enough for the thirsty trees. This is how dedicated this guy is.
3: That is wild. Well, here's a quick one I had no idea about. If your tree dies on you, you know, or, or you're just through with it after the holiday season... You can obviously mulch it, but that isn't your only option. You can also donate your Christmas tree to a zoo.
2: So why a zoo?
3: Well, I, I don't know if you can just drop it off at any zoo, but according to the San Francisco Gate, the Oakland Zoo takes Christmas tree donations because they feed the trees as a quote, wintertime treat to their animals. Oh, wow. So the photo with the article is so great. It's just got like a bunch of giraffes nibbling on the top of trees. And, uh, that's pretty great. I'm sure it leaves them with um, minty fresh breath.
2: That uh, that tree of your parents you showed me, I feel like that could last them a few weeks. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's true. So what do you have next?
2: All right, I was reading this interesting article in The Independent. It was called How the Nazis Stole Christmas. And one of the interesting bits was that the Nazis tried to take the Christ out of Christmas. And so here's how the author describes it. The regime's exploitation of Christmas began almost as soon as the Nazis took power in 1933. Party ideologists wrote scores of papers claiming that the festival's Christian element was a manipulative attempt by the church to capitalize on what were really old Germanic traditions. So they worked to rebrand it, and instead of stars on the top of the tree, they used swastikas, naturally. And instead of Santa Claus, they replaced them with the Germanic and Norse god Odin. Odin? Yeah. (laughs) That's so strange. But the artwork of it was supposedly really funny, and so here's how the author described it. Propaganda posters in the exhibition show the Christmas or Solstice man, Odin, as a hippie-like individual (laughs) on a white horse charger sporting a thick gray beard, slouch hat, and a sack full of gifts.
3: Hippie like Odin doesn't sound very Nazi to me. <laughs> but, you know, I, I feel like Christmas is just another thing the Nazis got wrong, so that makes sense. You think but, so. <laughs> you know, I, I was looking into the story of artificial trees, and this is just an aside, but uh, according to the New York Times, they said that unless you're reusing your artificial tree for more than 20 years, it's actually more environmentally friendly just to cut down a tree every single year. Oh, wow. So that's true. Yeah. So I I guess they're quoting this uh, environmental consulting firm from Montreal. And they they took into account, it says, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, use of resources and human health impacts, which I I guess I never would have guessed. But here's my fact. Do you know that the first artificial trees were actually made of green dyed goose feathers?
2: I did not know that.
3: (laughs) This comes from a book on the history of Christmas by Bruce David Forbes. But uh, the goose feather trees came from Germany and reached the U.S. in 1900. And according to Forbes, quote, customers liked the one time expense instead of an annual outlay at escalating costs. And the artificial trees boasted no pine needles and less fire hazards.
2: That actually reminds me of that weird fact of how miniature golf greens used to use dyed goat hair for the artificial grass. That's right. So weird. (laughs) So uh, where do you want to go from here? All right, well, how about the fact that Christmas trees used to be a whole lot tinier? In fact, in the 17th and 18th centuries, the main present delivery system was gifts in the stockings. And instead of the tree being on the floor or on a table, it was actually pretty common to hang the tree from a ceiling what? or from the rafters. <laughs> it kind of sounds like I'm just making this up this is true. In fact, one article I found said that families would even hang the tree upside down to point the root toward heaven and supposedly... <laughs> Fill the tree with divine power. I might try this I just I feel to see. like
3: that just would be so creepy, like a <laughs> hanging tree. And then the fact that, like, everyone was doing this at the time, like, it's nuts. <laughs> you have a different take on this. I kind of want to try this next year. Well, I, I know we've got a few more facts to go, but before that,
0: let's take a quick break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing
3: Welcome back to Part-Time Genius, where we're talking about hanging Christmas trees. So, Will, what fact are you going to go on to next? I think one of the things I found most fascinating
2: this week was learning that after we started bringing bigger trees indoors and not hanging them from the rafters, uh-huh. they still didn't quite look like the trees that we have today. Oh, yeah? Why is that? Well, I'm sure you've heard about how people used to put lit candles on trees like in the era before light. Sure. Right? Well, to make that happen, you need a lot of space between the branches, you know, so the candles aren't lighting the needles that are on top of those. Mm-hmm. So the ideal tree of a century ago was really like a whole lot more sparse and patchy. And then you'd use that extra room in there, not just to light the candles, but you'd hide these extra treats for your kids, which I can imagine that was, you know, pretty fun for sure. them to find like little gifts in there. And and then when, of course, you know, the electric lights came along, all of that space disappeared. And that's when we started getting these more full trees and the gift started moving down to the floor.
3: I can't imagine Christmas tree shopping with my wife back then, just like not having a patchy enough tree. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. <built> like, uh, <laughs> it's got to be more
2: patchy. <laughs> but weirdly enough, the first electric Christmas lights actually go way back to the 1880s. That's apparently when Thomas Edison's vice president at his company, they they rigged up the tree with lights. And so then GE came out with lights in 1901. And this is all from that same book on Christmas. And, In 1903, EverReady came out with the first string of eight lights, and it just, of course, kind of took off from there. But I really had no idea that it all started that early.
3: I know, in 1900. That's crazy to think about. So, uh, speaking of Christmas tree lights, I've actually got a fact I think you're going to love, and I think it's a great way to go out. So, in 2010, the Colombian government was trying to figure out how to reach guerrilla separatists and, and kind of try to get them to put down their weapons and come home. So, this ad executive actually came up with this idea, and he shared it with the government, and they decided to try it out. And they basically put up all these motion sensor Christmas lights, just strings of lights up on trees in strategic places, right? So, they picked... Nine pathways through the jungle, and they did this in that area. And basically, whenever the sensor tripped, the lights would go up, and this message would illuminate that said, if Christmas can come to the jungle, you can come home, demobilize. At Christmas, everything is possible.
2: Of course, that's an interesting idea, but did it work?
3: Yeah, so it was surprisingly effective. About 350 people or so, this was about 5% of the gorillas, came home that year and put down their arms and Mm -hmm. rejoin civilization. And uh, it's convinced the government to do this almost every year since. So they use slightly different tactics, but every year more and more people are coming home to their moms.
2: Wow, I mean, I think that's pretty great. I have to admit it, I think I'm going to give you the final prize of the year. So congratulations, (laughs) Mango.
3: Well, I also love the fact that you can hook up a tree to an IV. So in the Christmas spirit, why don't we share it with you, me, Gabe, Tristan, even Julian.
2: All right. Well, I'm for that. Now, listeners, we're off for the holidays, but we'll be back next year with a whole new season of shows. Thank you for the kind reviews and all the facts and the letters you send in. We love hearing from you. And thanks so much for listening.